Tuesday. Welcome in and thank you to Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems for uh, presenting the first hour. Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans, the Rep Radio Network. Got a lot of things going on, Parker. We have Sooner basketball tonight, 6 o'clock against Kansas. Uh, it'd be nice for the Sooners to get back on track. First two-game losing streak of the Porter Moser era. Losing at Texas and TCU last week. Maybe a little LNC home cooking tonight against the Kansas Jayhawks. And then you have to pay, play Baylor at home uh, on Saturday. So a very difficult week starts tonight for Oklahoma. We had uh, the Rams blow out the Cardinals last night. Horrible night for Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. The Rams pounced early and never let up. 34-11 to was the final. It didn't even feel that close. That was a beatdown last night by the L.A. Rams. And uh, we are still waiting on portal news. Where do you want to start? Still waiting. <laughs> well, Mike, let's start with the fact that Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg posted official visit pics from Ole Miss. Yes. Yes, I, they're headed I, I, to Oxford. You know, the, the uniform battle with Ole Miss is a tough one because Ole Miss has some sweet uniforms. Now, they don't have the tradition that Oklahoma does, but the uniform battle Battle is pretty darn close. I might even give a slight edge to Ole Miss and the uniform battle. It's so bizarre, this whole situation, Mike, because on both sides of the aisle, in the Oklahoma camp and the Ole Miss camp, there is a staunch sense of confidence right now. And it's not often that happens with these battles, right? Generally, if you have one side that's super confident, naturally, the other side is starting to generally get a bit apprehensive. But that's not the case right now between Oklahoma and Ole Miss with with regard to Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg. Both sides that is are strange. very confident that they're getting yeah. these two. It is strange. And let's look at the pros and cons uh, for Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg because we're thinking they're a package deal, roommates at USC. For Oklahoma, uh, you've got a more tradition-rich program. You have uh, you know, a program with a great reputation. Ole Miss has been good under Lane Kiffin. Matt Corral might be the number one quarterback again in the draft coming up and one of the top picks, maybe the top pick in the draft. We'll see how that plays out. So Ole Miss has some good things going on, really good conference in the SEC, but a very competitive conference, obviously. But it looks like if Jackson Dart goes to Oxford, he is going to be the guy. If he comes to Oklahoma, he's going to compete with Dylan Gabriel. So what is what wins in the end? Uh, do we find out how competitive Jackson Dart really is? Uh, you know, a lot of these kids these days, you know, old man speaking here, they want the job not necessarily handed to them, but they're going to the place where they almost feel like they can be guaranteed to start. And if he comes to Oklahoma, he might very well start, but he's got a battle on his hands with Dylan Gabriel. So what wins out? We'll have to wait and see. Exactly. And ultimately for Jackson Dart, it comes down to, do you want to play immediately? Because if you want to play immediately, Ole Miss is the place to go. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know how big of a priority that is to him. Look, some guys say, you know what, I want to start for three years and I want to get onto the NFL. Some take a more holistic approach and they say, you know, wherever the chips fall, I'll roll the dot or I'll roll with whatever the outcome ends up being. But I'm not gonna force anybody's hand and I'm not gonna try to be the guy immediately and I'm willing to sit and wait and learn a system. Whatever the case may be at the, that particular juncture, in that particular uh, locale for that player. But as it pertains to Oklahoma and Ole Miss here, Mike, as I said yesterday, OU just seems like the more natural cultural fit for Dart and Trick. And this could very much swing back in the direction of Ole Miss. But right now, 
based on everything I've heard over the last 24 hours, it seems as though OU is in the catbird seat here. And again, you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. And in from an Oklahoma perspective, the one thing that you do worry about, like you were touching on, is the fact that how, how comfortable is Jackson Dart jumping into a situation where you have your competitor for the quarterback position with experience in Jeff Levy's offense previously. Yeah, no so, doubt. That, that's a big factor, too. And, and you might have to compete with Nick Evers uh, down the road, too, right? Ah, I mean, flower mound zone. You know, so uh, there's going to be more competition at Oklahoma. There's no doubt. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We did have some uh, portal news breaking right before we came on. Makai Wingo. Uh, the transfer defensive lineman from Missouri picked LSU. A lot of people were thinking that was going to be the case. So really now, it's it's really weird. I think that Caleb Williams is so far off the radar screen for Oklahoma fans who are just tired of waiting and are just like, get it over already. All right, we know. Just get it over with. They're more into waiting on the Jackson Dart decision right now. I think they are than the Caleb Williams decision. And it's Maybe well, because they realize close. there's a legit chance that yeah. Jackson Dart ends up at Oklahoma. Right, yeah. Caleb exactly. Williams, not so much. You know, and and I think if you would have, uh, you know, said that, you know, maybe even a weekend at Caleb's uh, decision, but it's been, it feels like it's been forever since he's been in the portal now, and Sooner fans are, are they're, they're tired. They, I don't know if they feel like they've been strung along, but they, they're just kind of to the point where they're annoyed with it, and you know what? Screw it. It's like something in your life you just get tired of, and you just throw it aside. And you Forget about it. Forget it. We're getting very, very close, Mike, to this whole portal cycle wrapping up because most schools have started classes for the spring semester, and you're coming up against enrollment deadlines, and so... I would expect within the next couple of days, yeah, we know for a fact think. what Oklahoma's 2021 spring roster is going to look like. And the, really, the only three guys whose fates are yet to be determined are Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg, and then, of course, Tyler Guyton, the offensive lineman from TCU, whom Oklahoma is very much in the running for. So we'll see what becomes of that. But the reality is we are very, very close to having this all behind us and just being able to look to the future mm. with a 100% dead set sense of what the Oklahoma Sooners are going to have at their disposal. It's going to be very interesting uh, this spring football. Sometimes to me spring football is overplayed a little bit, but this spring football uh, practice in the game is going to be very much scrutinized, uh, even more so by media and fans because of all the new faces. So in the portal, the Sooners have lost six and gained nine. Gaining Dylan Gabriel, Daniel Parker, McCade Mattire, Jeremy Johnson, T.J. Roof, C.J. Colden, uh, Kenai Walker, Trey Morrison, as we talked about yesterday, the North Carolina cornerback who should play a lot immediately for Oklahoma from uh, Carolina, uh, made his decision yesterday. Jonah Laulu, also from Hawaii. So they've gained nine and lost six. So the portal uh, has been pretty good overall to the University of Oklahoma since uh, it really became such a huge factor in college football. You remember when we thought Brent Venables wasn't going to use the transfer portal, Mike? I was like, Brent, what? Did did he pretty much rule out the portal? Here's the deal, though. I think with Brent, man, uh, because of the guys you lost, and again, you're going to lose Caleb Williams, you can uh, put him on that list also. I mean, I think by necessity, he probably – 
had to go to the portal, maybe more than he'd like to go to the portal. You'd like to have more stability in the program. I'm sure they're shooting for that. Every coach is. I think Brent Venables is that kind of guy. But by necessity, they need some portal help because of uh, the guys that are leaving. And it looks pretty good for Oklahoma. We'll see how these guys pan out. I remember uh, last year we had uh, Wanya Morris. Everybody's thinking, oh, my God, this guy's going to be unbelievable. He First team all Big 12. All Big 12. And preseason all Big 12 and never made a start. He didn't pan out last year. Now, maybe Jerry Schmidt, things will change. Who knows? I think that, you know, uh, later in the year, uh, you know, you saw – Eric Gray, I think, had a pretty solid year. Uh, Key Lawrence got better and better, played both positions, safety and corner, helped him some at corner down the stretch. He became a pretty good player. But you never know how they're going to pan out. You just never know. Uh, But the portal is such a big part of college football. And you throw in name, image, likeness. You throw in all the conference realignment stuff. The Sooners, Texas, what's the Big 12 going to look like? Dennis Dodd had a report today that in 2023, the uh, Big 12 will split into two uh, seven-team divisions in 2023. How long will the Sooners be around? If there are 14 teams in the Big 12 at that point, which I'm not convinced there will be. I know, but I think a lot of us thought that Oklahoma would be playing in the SEC this fall, right? There was that chance. Yeah, um, there was that hope, but maybe it's better for the Sooners that they get a year, maybe even a two-year, you know, Brent Venable's reign. Uh, with him giving a chance or getting a chance to instill, you know, what he wants to put into the program, and with Jerry Schmidt's return and everything else, it's going to be a different looking Oklahoma football team. Uh, I think in terms of physicality and uh, maybe the kind of defensive linemen they recruit and that kind of thing, uh, which you need for the SEC. But the guy who just won a national championship, and Plank played this clip about two and a half hours ago, and I thought, man, that's a really good soundbite. I want to use that and talk about it. This is the guy who just won the national title. Georgia broke through and beat Alabama. Kirby Smart was asked what he thinks about the current state and uh, the future right now for college football. It worries me, I'll be real honest with you, where the game of college football is going. First concern I have, the best leaders and the best men to run it and be organized with it are leaving. The best coaches are going to the NFL because they get more time with their families. They want no part of NIL, portal, constant recruiting. And you say, well, why not? Go live it and see how long you want to do it. It's not what it used to be. And I see coaches left and right you know a lot of them that have stepped out of this game that are saying, I'm done. Good men, great leaders, they don't want to be a part of it. That concerns me for the future of it. Where's it going? And I'm not talking about NIL or Portal in particular. I'm just saying the amount of time. The best thing the NCAA did was give February where coaches couldn't recruit and bring people on campus. But I think you've got to look at the calendar and say what's best for everybody because the amount of of salaries that have gone up and made it so competitive that it's nonstop. At the top, it is relentless and nonstop. And if you can't cut it, you'll be gone pretty quick. Wow. I know. and, and here's I like a, that a lot. It is a great clip, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, I heard that on Plank Show earlier, and I thought, man, i got to grab that. That's good. we got to talk about it. But, you know, if you're a head football coach now, and, look, I, this was true of Barry Switzer back in the 70s on into the 80s to a certain extent, but I think there are more responsibilities in both areas now. You're a CEO, you're a head coach, and you're, you're a salesman. You know, you basically have three jobs, CEO, foot coach, salesman. And the salesman part of it, which is recruiting, 
going out and selling your program, it seems to be, as Kirby Smart said, nonstop. And now you add the portal to the mix? I mean, I know those college football coaches, we've seen what they're making. It's an, uh, it's an insane amount of money. But you know what? It's a lot of work, too. It's a lot of work. And you hear – it's not just head coaches either, Mike. You talked to – and I did talk to last week at the AFC A Coaches Convention. I talked to several assistant coaches from programs all across the country, and that was one thing they all echoed is, look, sometimes we work 17, 18-hour days oh, yeah. in this profession between yeah. recruiting – and on-field coaching and being in the office, meetings, all of it. There is so much that goes into it. And the reality is, Mike, at the NFL, you don't have to recruit. Mm -hmm. At the professional level, that end of the bargain is off the table. You do not have to handle that responsibility. All you got to do is coach your football team 16 Sundays a year. And obviously practices and meetings all that to go along that goes along with it, but the reality is recruiting is the most tedious aspect of coaching and arguably the most time consuming. And so that in conjunction with NIL and having to recruit your entire roster every single day because of the reality of the transfer portal, it's gotta be a living hell no, for some it, of these coaches. Sometimes it's gotta be, man. You've got to have a very special spouse too to deal with that when you're on the road that much. Not easy, but uh, to me, yes, I, I agree. It's it, you know there there's a lot that uh, being a head coach, or as you said, these assistant coaches are the ones going out doing a lot, the most of the recruiting anyway, and they're on the road all the time. Uh, it's difficult, but then you throw the portal in the mix, and that's more you have to worry about. And uh, you know we just got a lot of stuff going on in college football right now. And I want to know from you on the Air Comfort Solutions text line today as we go to break. 405-651-3439, 405-651-3439. How worried are you about the future of college football? Tell us why or give us a fix. We'll let you make the call on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We're coming right back. Uh, is college football needing a fix? I know we all have a fix for college football. We can't wait for it to return already, but, man, there uh, there's some uh, times they are changing, Bob Dylan, in college football. There's no doubt about that. Welcome back. Steelman and Thune here on a Tuesday first hour, presented by our friend Tim Lasher at Lasher Home Comfort Systems. And uh, Portal News today, Makai Wingo, who had uh, mentioned Oklahoma at one point, picks LSU. So uh, now people are awaiting mainly uh, Jackson Dart and uh, Michael Trigg. That decision, Parker, you were saying for uh, people just joining us, that both camps feel confident uh, they're the leader right now, which is kind of strange. It is strange, and I think it just speaks to the reality that no one knows exactly what Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg are going to do. And you saw them post the official visit pictures from OU yesterday, and at that point everybody figured, oh, oh. Oh, you might be the spot. And now they post the official visit pictures from Ole Miss today. And now everybody's hyping up Ole Miss as the destination. This could go either way, very realistically. But I still favor OU slightly in this race just because, as I have stated many a time over the last 24 hours on this radio station, Mike, culturally Oklahoma just makes more sense than Ole Miss for Dart and Trigg. 
Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be uh, like like you said. Uh, these decisions have to be coming down uh, in the next couple of days uh, because it it feels like again for remember Caleb Williams once we knew he was going into the portal, then it didn't even become official for like two or three days after that. And now it seems like that has dragged on forever. And I think the vast majority of Sooner fans are just like, all right, whatever, get it over with. Just make your decision. Go join Mule Shoe, the deceiver out there in L.A. Go ahead. Go. That's kind of the feeling that I'm getting from the Oklahoma fans. All right, you want to go to the Air Comfort Solutions text line? Yeah, let's uh, let's explore some people's solutions for the problems that college football is currently experiencing in the year 2022. Willie Mays Hayes on the Air Comfort Solutions text line says, Transfer portal is the easiest fix. Transfer any time, but you lose a year of eligibility. You can earn it back once you graduate from the school you transferred to. Hmm. Okay. So. Interesting. In theory, for players who are only wanting to play three years of college football and then make the jump to the NFL – they only need three years of eligibility anyways, right? So they can transfer, and it's not going to affect their plans at all. So, for instance, Caleb Williams, under the circumstances that Willie Mays Hayes is proposing here, he could transfer to USC or UCLA tomorrow, and he wouldn't have to sit out. But at the conclusion of his junior year, he's out of eligibility until he graduates. Now, Probably he, 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 he's probably not planning on graduating at that point because he's got $12 million a year waiting for him in the NFL. Right. So for guys like that, a one-time transfer isn't going to really have a tangible impact on their path. It's going to be more of the same for them. But uh, for guys that, do, that don't have surefire first-round draft stock to bank on, that changes the game a little bit. And it also kind of shifts the focus back on academics, right? You have to graduate if you want to be able to play out your full eligibility at the collegiate level. And so I, I like that solution. I think that makes sense. Yeah, what about a, uh, you know, there's some drastic ideas out there like uh, the players unionize and you know what? You want to come to the University of Oklahoma or go to Texas or go to Southern Cal or Bama or Georgia or wherever, and if you don't want to play, you're just a football player and that's it. You get paid to play football. Now, you know, if you want to pursue an academic uh, if you want to pursue an academic, uh, you know, situation and get a degree, you can do that as well, but... I don't know. To me, that's a little – well, that's actually way too drastic. But I just wonder, again, um, and the NCAA set on their hands, and, and, you know, they just such a ridiculous, old, archaic, not keeping up with the times organization and some of the ridiculous rulings, like the OSU basketball ruling, which was just absolutely crazy. They don't seem like uh, they're the organization to fix it, and I don't know. Um I just don't trust them, but it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the portal over the next couple of years. And because of the pandemic, uh, you had this, you know, don't have to sit out situation, which has, I think, probably, don't you think portal traffic, once there is, you got to wait a year, if they go back to that, that that will cut down the portal traffic by half or so? What do you think? <sighs> I I don't know, because... To be honest, the, the transfer portal has just become such a beast, such a leviathan, that even if you alter the rules, 
as long as the transfer portal exists and guys can go wherever they want with a sense of free agency in a literal sense not I'm not talking about like NFL free agency but the the sense that they have an ability to select their destination at will and they can go there with no penalty as long as that system is in place in any capacity this is what you're going to be dealing with year in and year out because uh it, that that's literally what it amounts to is free agency. Yeah, immediate transfer where you don't have to sit out. It's it's not going to change. It's probably going to grow bigger. Now, one year. listener says via the text line, the transfer rules are fine. You should not have a kid be somewhere where he doesn't want to be if his coach leaves. After he transfers, he's locked into that school. The one-time transfer doesn't matter. What matters is the NIL problems. You need to regulate the max amount you can earn via NIL. Yeah, and how does that hold up uh, legally? I don't know. But when it seems like, you know, you get to campus and you're a star player and Caleb Williams gets a deal with Schwab Meat Company or Spencer Rattler gets Kane's Chicken or whatever, okay, that's great. But to tell recruits, guess what? You're going to get fifty grand a year. We've set up a fund here. Here's how it works. That, to me... Doesn't seem like what we were looking to do with NIL. You know what I'm saying? And again, enticing people to pay them to come to a certain school. I have said it many a time, Mike. The NCAA and Congress, for that matter, bit off way more than they could chew with NIL. And with the transfer portal as well. But I think more than anything with NIL. Because I think you are seeing the ramifications of NIL and the negative ramifications at that play out in a more emphasized sense because of the transfer portal. And the transfer portal is going to continue to have an effect on a lot of these student-athletes' NIL pursuits because there will be guys, and this is already happening, right? There are guys that get the sense that they can make more money off NIL if they transfer to X school in bigger market. Yeah, right? I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If you're, uh, where do you think bigger NIL opportunities exist? L.A. or Norman, Oklahoma? Now, you might say, well, the focus in L.A. isn't really on college football. It's on the Lakers and the Dodgers and the Rams and, the, and you know, all the other professional organizations out there. Not so much SC football. Now, if SC football becomes a beast again, maybe that's true. I, I don't know. I mean, one of the reasons why uh, LeBron, I think, wanted to be out in L.A. was the entertainment industry and the money there. And how many times you watch a movie now, you see Braun as the production company, right? A bunch. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. And and we even talked about how local economies can affect uh, NIL dollars also. Oklahoma relies a lot. We all know on the oil and gas industry and their ups and downs. In the energy business, and how does that affect the amount of dollars that, that go around? There's just so many different aspects uh, of name, image, likeness that are out there that we need to look at. All right, Air Comfort Solutions text line available to you, 405-651-3439. We've got a bunch of really good listeners. These texts are always good quality texts. And they are flying in. All right. Let's uh, get to Michigan Sooner says, what about just having a salary cap for teams? So if one team wants to go all in on one player, that's fine, but they can't have that same size deal for other players. Uh, well, the reality is these teams aren't the ones making the NIL deals. It's 
external third right. parties. Right, so, right, right. Technically, the university is nothing more than really a middleman in a certain sense. And not even a middleman in the traditional sense that they're brokering the deals. But, you know, you, you saw Joe Castiglione and Brent Venable's joint statement when Caleb Williams departed. And part of the statement was that they were going to lay out all the NIL opportunities that Caleb Williams would have at his disposal if he stayed at Oklahoma. But Joe Castiglione and Brent Venables aren't the ones making those deals happen. They're just making Caleb yeah. Williams aware, here's what people would be willing to offer you. Here's what mm-hmm. external companies and organizations would be willing to offer you in terms of NIL here at Oklahoma. So salary cap, I, theoretically, it's it's just not it, – it doesn't make very much sense. And what does a salary cap sound like? Professional sports. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's – and yeah, and, and again – it's more of uh, these universities are having to create like a separate entity within uh, the athletic department that, you know, uh, they can't pay NIL dollars, but they can find out, you know, from businesses that, that want to pay athletes or maybe, hey, I'd like to give Caleb Williams this for, uh, you know, for name, image, likeness or whatever. But they, they can't offer it. They can't do it. They're kind of, the, as you said, the middleman in the whole deal. And the, it's another aspect of football that the coaches don't have to get into. But Joe C. has to uh, put together some people that deal with that stuff. So it's just it, it's creating a college football has more tentacles than ever. And this is going to kill parity, too. And everybody looks at what Jackson State did, bringing in Travis Hunter and Kevin Coleman late in the 2022 recruiting cycle. And they're going to say, well, there you go. There's NIL creating parity. No, that's That's the a Deion Sanders that's deal. That's exactly. a D- that's D- if Deion Sanders wasn't there, uh, th- that wouldn't be happening. What that- we are going to see is we will see these fringe Power 5 athletes go to a place like Florida, Georgia, Alabama, one of the powerhouse schools in a big, big regional market. And... They're going to go there for the sake of being on the roster and making several thousand dollars via NIL deals rather than going somewhere than, say, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte or Georgia Southern or Georgia State, where they could probably become big-time players, but there's just not all that much on the table in terms of NIL. So I don't like the effect that NIL is going to have on parity across college football. No, that's, and, and that's my biggest concern. That's what Nick Saban and guys like that have been saying. The rich are going to get richer. You know what I'd do? I'd build my own university somewhere. Right. I would build the University of Name, Image, and Likeness. And, you know, then your helmet logo would be just a giant dollar sign. You would run out to the fight song, Money, by Pink Floyd. And you would just have nothing but NIL deals. And our uh, 24-7 Sports National uh, video well, he's I, – I don't know what his exact title is, but Josh Pate, who is the face of 24-7 sports at this point in the public eye, he made a very good point uh, with regard to Nick Saban's comments about NIL, which Nick Saban was like – you know, he basically expressed the same sentiment. This isn't going to be good for parity. And Josh's point was, that's Nick Saban telling you, hey, you think there's a lack of parity right yeah. now? I can make it a lot worse. Oh, yeah. Y'all. No doubt about it. No doubt. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break. And here is a Tuesday for you, a Tuesday award winner. Hopefully, probably not. We're going to give it our best shot, though. And the times there are changing. Robert Zimmerman. I last year home comfort system. Thank you for sponsoring our number one Steelman and Thune here on the ref. We shall return. 
Six o'clock tonight on ESPN from the Lloyd Noble Center. The Sooners and the seventh-ranked Kansas and Parker. Difficult stretch uh, for Oklahoma men's basketball begins tonight with that game against KU at six o'clock. Saturday, they host Baylor, number five team in the country. I know that Baylor lost two games at home last week to Tech and Oklahoma State, so they are struggling. And then after that, the Sooners have to go to Morgantown next week to play West Virginia. And then on Saturday, uh, January 29th, they have to play at number 2 Auburn. So what is a realistic best-case scenario, you think? Two and two during that stretch? Uh, Realistic best-case scenario is you upset either Kansas, Baylor, or Auburn. I think if you get one of three – you're content with that just because of how good those teams are. I think your best chance is tonight against Kansas. I do too, personally. But is is it too early, Mike, to say that this stretch is going to define the Sooners' season? Uh, because it no, just feels not like, necessarily. Not necessarily. No, I just I feel like this is the stretch where we're going to find out whether it's all going to start to unravel for Porter Moser and his team or whether they're capable of swinging with the heavy hitters and putting up a fight against teams like Kansas and Baylor and Auburn. Did not play well against Texas, no doubt. Uh, also, they've been struggling on the offensive end, and they lose in overtime at TCU over the weekend. And now they have, again, two of the top seven teams in the country, number seven Kansas tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC. And then Saturday, number five Baylor comes to uh, Norman to play a 2 o'clock game against Oklahoma. Porter Moser uh, knows it's a tough stretch here but he also thinks this week is about opportunities that's the positive of playing so quick <laughs> is you can get that taste out of your mouth but there, there's no easy challenges but um yeah i mean every night you're going to have an opportunity to get a resume builder every night you're going to get a chance to have a quad one win almost so literally every road game is going to be a quad one win most of the home games are quad one wins so every single night um i use that analogy with our guys i said this is going to be a um 12 round, you know, heavyweight fight. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to lose a round. You got to bounce back up, come back up, answer the bell, man. You got to be ready. Problem is, uh, in that analogy, is you got knocked out by uh, two guys who weren't Ollie and Frazier, and you have Ollie and Frazier coming to town tonight and Saturday. So can the Sooners win? Yes, they can. Uh, I think one of two against Kansas or Baylor would be great for Oklahoma. And then if. A, to me, best case scenario, realistically, again, is two and two. You you split Kansas Baylor somehow. You win one of those, and then you win in Morgantown. Um, you know, uh, two and two would be fantastic in this stretch. And you know, what's what's more likely though, zero and four through this stretch, or two and two? I think zero and four. <sighs> I would say two and two is more likely than zero and four. Really? Yeah, just because. We saw Oklahoma topple a, pre- a couple of pretty good opponents in Florida and Iowa State on their home floor. So maybe maybe it's just playing in the LNC at the comfort of home uh, that gives the Sooners mm-hmm. a little bit of added juice. So I think we'll be able to determine a lot about this team's capacity to hang with Baylor and Auburn based on how they play tonight against Kansas and respond from those two Rather unexpected losses, not that Texas and TCU were bad basketball teams, but just the fact that Oklahoma played shockingly bad basketball oh, yeah. throughout. As bad as Oklahoma was, they still Ugh. had a chance to get it done in Fort Worth. The Texas game, not so much, but as poorly as they played, they got that game somehow to overtime. 
Uh, didn't like the Harkless shot at the end of the game. Uh, they've got to uh, run more of the offense through uh, Tanner Groves. they got to get him more involved again. They just have to play better, period. So 6 o'clock tonight on ESPN against Kansas. All right, you know what? I was really – I was really fired up for the Monday night football game last night. I sat down, you know, I had my normal allotment of sugar, some Oreos, you know, ready to go, eating healthy, getting ready for what I thought was going to be a really good football game. The Rams had both their starting safeties out. They had to bring back Eric Weddle. And I thought, maybe Kyler and the Cardinals can go there and win at SoFi twice. You know what's funny, Mike? That game was over, like, early, really early. Eric Weddle hadn't played a game of competitive football since before COVID was a thing. That's how long he'd been out of the game and retired. Is I, that's amazing to think about, because it feels like we've been in COVID, uh, in COVID protocols for like 10 years now. I think I'm aging in dog years now. But no, man, like this game was a debacle oh, for the Cardinals. I mean, it was oh. horrible. My favorite stat of the night, and I believe it was in the second quarter, where uh, Odell Beckham – Junior had thrown one pass on a trick play, and they showed on one pass that OBJ had more passing yards than Kyler Murray about midway through the second quarter. It was that bad, man. And uh, Kyler's the, pick six, that was one, one of the, the ugliest, worst ever. Oh, I mean, it was not good. Nothing about that play was good or encouraging or <laughs> any positive adjective whatsoever. Yeah, I, look, and I know Aaron Donald's up there in that line. He's a great player. They got Von Miller in a, in a big deal, and – Look, those those guys are all over Kyler, but man, that decision—he was trying to get you know, not take the safety, but to just fling it up. I mean, that's something you see in a Pop Warner game. It was bad, really, really bad. You either got to get the ball out of bounds there over yeah. somebody's head, or you just got to take the safety. Well, and the Rams win thirty-four to eleven, and it felt like a much bigger blowout than that. So the Cardinal season is over, eleven and six. Cliff Kingsbury, you think? 24-24-1. He's right at 500. They won five the first year. They won eight last year, but missed the playoffs. 11 and 6. It's the way they lose five of their last six. At one point, they were in the driver's seat to be the home top seed, the home, get the home field advantage in the NFC. It's not And often, they collapsed. It is not often that I would sit here and advocate for firing a head coach after that team just made the postseason. But I legitimately feel like the Cardinals should move on from Cliff Kingsbury, Mike. I don't know. Am I alone in that camp? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, there's been a lot of rumblings about that. Let's hear from Kyler Murray reaction to that embarrassing loss to the Rams in the playoffs last night. Disappointing. Um, Prepare our week off season, you know, to to be where we are. And then, uh, you know, they they game wasn't competitive at all. So, uh, you know, it's disappointing um, that we didn't – you know, didn't make it a game, you know, and, and come out um, and play the football we know we're capable of playing. That's really the most disappointing part, you know. Losing is one thing, but when you don't, you know, you don't even make it competitive, it's, it's another thing. So, yeah, it's disappointing. There you go. And uh, Kyler was just, uh, he was really bad last night. And, uh, look, I know he was under duress all night long, but particularly uh, the pick six was one of the worst. It was the shortest return for a pick six touchdown in the history of the playoffs. So, there you go. All right, we're going to take a break right here. Thanks again, Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort System, sponsoring our first hour here on The Ref. Steelman and Thune, way afternoon, almost wrapping up the noon hour. Coming back, getting to more of your texts on the Air Comfort Solutions text line coming up next. I was
Okay, last night it got ugly at SoFi Stadium for the Arizona Cardinals. But, man, it would be beautiful if you could go to SoFi and see the Super Bowl, right? You can get there because Riverwind wants to send you there. Our friends at Riverwind Casino, right now they have the Super Points and a Super Plays promotion happening through January 29th. And the top wild card members, not just one, but several who earn the most points on specified gaming capital group machines are going to win Super Bowl trip prizes, including the airfare, hotel stay, ground transportation, a couple of tickets to the 22, uh, 2022 Super Bowl in L.A. at SoFi Stadium, plus $1,000 cash. That is a heck of a deal. Get out and uh, seek out the gaming capital group machines at Riverwind. There's a lot of signage around those machines. The nice people uh, out there at Riverwind will point you in the right direction. Use your wild card. Play on those machines rack up points maybe you want a big jackpot while you're doing it and uh, get those points on your wild card and if you get enough you could be a part of the group that wins those super bowl trips again with airfare hotel stay ground transportation couple of tickets to the game and a thousand dollars cash for walking around money that's a heck of a deal from our friends at riverwind casino all right um spring football what would be the the thing you will be looking at the most? There's so many different angles with all the new coaches, new players coming in, new quarterback, unless there's a, a big surprise from Caleb Williams here, which I don't anticipate. What to you would be the top storyline, uh, you know, as we eventually get to spring football, not that far away? I think I'm interested to see who plays right tackle next year. That's one of the positions I'm watching because – I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that McCade Mattire will slot in in Marquise Hazel's position at left guard. So, I mean, that's a, essentially a one-for-one one exchange. Right tackle is a bit more of a question. You know, is it Aaron Parks? Is it Savion Bird? Who maybe slots into that role opposite Anton Harrison, who you would imagine would reprise his role at left tackle. Now, outside of that, I think that's so that's kind of the position on the offensive line that I have my focus on. Interested to see how the wide receiver room shakes out with all the guys that they lost, you know, Jaden Hazelwood and Mario Williams at the top of that list. You got Mike Woods going to the NFL as well. So uh, I I would put the odds on Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss and probably Drake Stoops being your three starters at wideout, but there's going to be a lot of guys in competition for those spots. So we will see what becomes of that. Defensively, the front four, I think, is probably what people are going to be most eager to uh, see in terms of how that shakes out. Jalen Redmond is going to reprise his old role at defensive tackle. You would anticipate Ethan Downs moving into a starting role. And then everything else is kind of up for grabs. You know, is it a guy like Marcus Stripling that lines up opposite Downs? Is it Reggie Grimes? Uh, there's just a lot that can happen, particularly on that defensive front with the guys that they're replacing and the guys that they have at their disposal. They do have quality depth on the front four, so there will be an intriguing position battle there. And then I think uh, DJ Graham at the cornerback position, kind of seeing how he responds from that toasting that he took. Yeah, in that was not good, man, at all. He's going to get pushed for his job, make no mistake about that, by C.J. Colden and Joshua Eaton and what have you in that cornerback room. Back end, I think we all assume Key Lawrence is going to be one of the starting safeties. I'll be curious to see who the other one is. 
I think Trey Morrison could get a look there. I think Robert Spears Jennings has a lot of promise as an incoming freshman. So Trey Morrison at safety rather than corner, you're saying? He's maybe play, he's played all three. Yeah, at you said North that Carolina. Yesterday. So yeah, nickel, corner, and safety. Really, he's he's one of those guys in the mold of a Key Lawrence, right? Where he can just kind of go wherever you need him, and you know he's going to give you max effort. You know he's going to play physical, and you know you can trust him at wherever he lines up. Okay, I uh, just got a tweet. Steely, why do you hate on Cliff Kingsbury so much? Uh, well, number one, I don't like people from tech. And, uh, yes, there's an extreme bias there. They're plebeian simpletons and serfs in uh, Lubbock. It's a glorified junior college. Their fans are ridiculous. It's a horrible place. It is a horrible place. I mean, uh, Mule Shoe was there. That was the genesis of Mule Shoe, the coach. Uh, Kingsbury was there. Obviously, I just don't like people from Tech, pretty much. And I don't like men who are better looking than me. And uh, Cliff Kingsbury is. You know, Cliff a, Kingsbury looked hungover he last did. time. He did. Hungover or stoned? I, I don't know. know. He looked like uh, he, <laughs> he looked so out of it. looking face. I, uh, maybe it was because his team was getting their absolute tails kicked. Or right maybe the they bat. were getting their tails kicked because he was hungover and or stoned. Maybe. So, yes, uh, I'm jealous of Kingsbury. I'll admit it. I'm uh, very honest right here. There are very few men. I mean, uh, I don't know who. George Clooney, Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt, Robert Redford. There are a select few people that are better looking than me. And Cliff Kingsbury is. I mean, that's what everybody says. I just don't. So there's jealousy. Andy's from Lubbock. So I don't like the guy. I don't like him. I'm trying to think who I like from tech. I don't think there's anyone. I'm racking my brain Kirby here. Kirby Hokett? No, nah, not so much. Leach? Yeah, kind of funny. Had a stint at OU, but not as funny anymore. He's like a Pepperdine Law guy, yeah. right, though? He's not a tech guy. I'll say Leach a little bit. Graham Harrell? Nope, not so much. Michael Crabtree? Nope, 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 nope. Bob Knight, when he was there? Not really. I don't like anybody you, from tech. You do the only person special... I like from Lubbock is Buddy Holly, and that's it. You got to have a special place in your heart for Michael Crabtree for getting Oklahoma into the 2008 national championship At game. Though, Harold right? to uh, and to Blake Gideon for dropping the pick, right? A few plays before. All right, we've got another hour to go. Thank you, Tim Lasher, for sponsoring our first hour. Keep it here on the ref. On a Tuesday, hour number two, presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, X72 for a great deal on a car or truck. Uh, we are here in the Brown O'Haver Studios on this Tuesday. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Air Comfort Solutions text line, always available, 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439. We'll go back there in just a second. All right, um, you also have said that you are not wanting to be a part of uh, Arch Madness, right, with Arch Manning. <laughs> no, I, I would personally not like to be a part of Arch Madness. If he ends up a Sooner, fine. Just, just, get, just get the recruitment over with if that's going to happen, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be sitting here a year from now, Mike, two weeks before National Signing Day 2023, and there's been this long, drawn-out recruiting battle between, like, Oklahoma and Georgia and Alabama for Arch Manning, and no one can get any sense of where the number one overall recruit in the prep ranks is going. Arch Manning has already visited Austin. Yes. and Multiple uh, times, as a matter of fact. Do you think that uh, the Horns are a major player for Arch Manning or just, like, in the top five or six? 
I think Quinn Ewers kind of threw a wrench in all of that. Mm. I legitimately think before Texas went and took Quinn Ewers as a transfer, they probably were one of the top two or three schools for Arch Manning. I don't know if that's still the case. Because not only do you have Quinn Ewers now at the University of Texas, but you've got Malik Murphy as well, the four-star signee out of the class of 2022. So you have Ewers and you have Ewers' backup incoming. Hudson Card is still on the roster, still has three years of eligibility left. Or or four, maybe. He might have all four because of COVID. Regardless, the point is you have a lot of quarterbacks currently on that roster. Another thing, Mike, I don't know how many spots Texas has, but they are taking transfers left and right. How are they doing in the portal, by and the they, way? Well, they just got Jaleel Billingsley yesterday, the tight end out of Alabama, and they took 28 high school commits in this class, Mike. Good Lord. Oh, this That's is... a lot, man. What did OU have last year? 16 in the signing class. Now, 16 they... and then seven transfers. Yeah, then they so added 23 the total. That's crazy. Texas has 28 from the high school ranks and is rounding it out with a myriad of transfers. How many scholarships do you have to work with down there, Steve Sarkeesian? I don't know. The point is, I don't think Arch Manning is going to be a Texas Longhorn. Quinn Ewers, to me, uh, I don't know. I, I can't take a, a kid that, you know, as a superstar player who has that haircut because you have to look in the mirror. I mean, the pictures I've seen of him, and I think he had his hair dyed for a while, like yes, when he was bleached. at Ohio State, bleached. Uh-huh. He looked like an Joe Dirt's son or something, you know? <laughs> he's a uh, He's an interesting fellow. He's different breed of cat, is what well, he is. They're all man. different breeds of cats down so. there on the forty acres. But um, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what direction Texas goes in. Uh, Sark. It started out looking pretty good for Sark, right? It looked like all right. Look, Texas looks pretty good. You know, they took care of business. They they beat a Louisiana team that was ranked coming into Austin. And uh, what was the game where we all kind of thought – and then the Arkansas game came, and they got pushed around in the Arkansas game. And then it just completely unraveled. I mean, everything – and then you get the uh, – Well, no, it didn't unravel initially because they won three straight games after that Arkansas – or four straight. Yeah, that after was, Arkansas. that's right. They went on a four-game winning streak. and They were about to make it five mm-hmm. in the Cotton Bowl – until Caleb Williams showed up. Caleb Williams detonated the Texas season, along with Pole Assassin and Gia the Monkey, right? Those were the three parties most responsible for not the eyes of Texas, but the demise of Texas. That's that's the one thing that Oklahoma fans will always appreciate Caleb Williams for, is for tor- torpedoing the Steve Sarkeesian era before it ever got off the ground. Or I guess hmm. as it was getting off the ground. Did we ever get a uh, G of the Monkey uh, NFT? <laughs> I've seen lots like, of gorillas and stuff. I, I don't even know what an NFT is. It's like, a non-fungible token, you I, know, and you can put like media in there and stuff. So I you understand can put the, the polis- concept. I'm not under. I, what I fail to understand is how is how it has any value. I know. I I can't either. But there's somebody's going to text immediately and tell us how. I know. We please, are on someone this. explain NFTs yeah, that, on the Air Comfort Solutions. Yeah, I know. Line. You know who's really into it? Des Bryant. I mean, of, he's tweeting about he that. He's tweeting about that stuff all the time. But we need it. There should be a G of the Monkey uh, NFT out there, and you could have if you can put media in there, right? You could have like the Pole Assassins theme song or a video or whatever. 
<laughs> the eyes of Texas. Golly. And I thought Sark, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of thought he was going to be a good hire. And it's way too early. I You know, the deal is I like Sarkeesian. Tom Herman was, you know, trying to get through one of his press conferences. Was like, this dude is just, thinks he's it. And, dude, you were so annoying. It was, but Sarkeesian's very likable. He is surprisingly likable. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. I think he's got a good story, too. Everybody likes a good uh, rebound story, you know. I mean, you think about that video when he was there at that USC Booster get-together, and he sounded like, well, for old-school listeners out there, Foster Brooks. I mean, he was completely out of it. Um, and then the stories that he was, you know, showing up late to practice or not showing up, and when he did, he had alcohol in his breath and all that. I mean, it looked like he was done. And then he went to the Nick Saban, Nick Saban Rehab Clinic, and here he is getting another shot at Texas. But, yeah, the, you talk about stumbling down the stretch. Man, that was a total disaster. So, But the battles between Oklahoma and Texas will continue. Uh, the Sooners with Brent and now with Todd Bates coming aboard are going a lot more into the south. So are they going to have less head-to-head battles with Texas, you think, a few less? A few less, yes, but I also think what you're seeing, conversely, is an increased effort to recruit the state of Oklahoma and recruit locally, because yes, Brent Venables and Todd Bates and that staff are going to recruit Florida heavy, and they're going to make a play into Georgia and into Alabama, just because those are spots where Brent Venables has existing recruiting ties and relationships, and you can say the same for Todd Bates, but... What have we seen over the first few weeks of the Venables regime? We saw them offer by Job out of Norman Community Christian School, Eric McCarty out of McAllister, Oklahoma. They reoffered Micah Tease. Am I missing anyone? I don't think so. I obviously. The, I think that's it. Yeah, obviously the Sooners are going to be a player for Jacoby Johnson out of Mustang, who is arguably the top player in the state. The point is. And what I don't want anybody to get twisted is the fact that Oklahoma is going to lock down Oklahoma as a state. Make no mistake about that. Brent Venables and his staff are going to make sure that if there are Power 5 players within the state of Oklahoma, that those guys are coming to the University of Oklahoma. You're not going to lose a Dax Hill to Michigan or a Josh Proctor to Ohio State or even a Talon Shetron to Oklahoma State under the new regime. That's going to be a priority for Brent Venables. Not to say it won't happen every now and then, but it won't become as regular of a phenomenon as it was during Mule Shoe's tenure as head coach. The uh, Gentry Williams recruitment still feel like that's is it? It's over. It's, it's over. You it's think been it's over. completely done? Yes, he's committed. He's signing in February. Gentry Williams is going to be a sooner. No buzz about, uh, what was it, was it Bama or Florida or both maybe trying to creep back in? It was Florida, in? and then there was Jackson State as well. Oh, Jackson State. <laughs> no, it's it, it's yeah. over, people. Like, don't make this any harder than it needs to be. Gentry Williams is committed. He is signing in February. He will be in the Crimson and Cream come the fall. Do we have any good stories about mule shoe uh, failures through the portal or anything else? Oh, I, man. I need to know some failures. No, because – so have I told you the uh, the infamous Tom Herman story? No. Oh, man, this is a great one. You want to save it for the next segment? No, no, no. no. It's, okay. it's, not like, it's not like a long, drawn-out story. But 
Uh, there were twin offensive linemen in the 2021 class, uh, Blake and Tommy Brockermeyer. Or not Blake. Blake is the father. Yeah. Uh, who played at Texas long, long ago, was a first-round NFL draft pick, had a very successful mm-hmm. career yep, remember in the it. NFL. It was Tommy and, for the life of me, I can't remember the other brother's name. Tommy and Timmy! <laughs> anyway, so the Brockermeyer brothers are on a visit with Texas. They have not received offers yet from the university. Tom Herman sits down in his office... With these two high-end recruits, both of them are like top 100 players, mm-hmm. like elite, elite players, sits them down with their father, a Texas Longhorn alum and decorated NFL p- player in the background. And he sits them down and he says, all right, we're going to, and he points to each one of the brothers in turn, we're going to offer you a full scholarship and we're going to offer you a preferred walk-on. Wow. They ended up both going on full scholarship to Alabama. How like, about that? I, that's crazy. And, and, that Bla- was, and Blake was there, but the dad was there. I'm surprised the office wasn't uh, torn up. There there should have been a rumble or something. I need to – I'm going to find out what – Luke Brockermeyer. Okay. No, 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 no. That's the older brother. James, James and Tommy. Those okay. are the twins. And they're both at Alabama now. And believe me, Mike, their older brother goes to Texas. Their dad went to Texas. If Tom Herman didn't screw that recruitment up, they would have both gone to Texas. So who do we think uh, right now in the worst person in the world rankings is higher, uh, Muleshoe or Tom Herman? Uh, Tom Herman's still higher than Muleshoe. I would probably put him higher than Muleshoe, too. But uh, Muleshoe's making a run. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with – you know, the story out there that, you know, a lot of people are talking about with Jackson Dart was that Muleshoe was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're going to have a great chance to compete. We love you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then they found out, the Dart family found out they were working uh, feverishly to get an NIL deal done for Caleb Williams. So that's Muleshoe, right? He'll look you straight in the eye and lie right to your face and not even care. We saw that towards the end of the season. He's a lying liar. All right. Yes, evil ways indeed, no doubt. All right, we'll take a break. Come right back. Get to the text line next. Ah, yes. We're talking about evil uh, people. So, yes, bring uh, the Reaper in from Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, how many bands did we hear? All right, so apparently they, they sold their soul. Blue Oyster Cult. Rumors about Zeppelin because Jimmy Page lived in Aleister Crowley's old house. <laughs> I want you to know, Mike, that that's the only reason I ever play this bumper is so I can hear you talk about how Blue Oyster Cult sold their soul. Yes, they went pure Robert Johnson, apparently. And, uh, you know, you've got to think of, like, Black Sabbath, of course, Iron Maiden, uh, you know, Al- Alex Alex, Alice Cooper was playing devil music back in the day. My God. It was all in acts. Now, like Marilyn Manson, that dude is evil. We've come to find out that he is evil. But, um, yeah, that was the uh, rumor about Blue Oyster Cult. And remember, there were rumors a long time ago about Stevie Nicks being a witch in Fleetwood Mac. 
I mean, after all, the song Ryanan is about a witch. So Stevie Nicks must be a witch, right? I like Stevie Nicks. I yes, I I, I I didn't know those rumors were floating around about her. Yeah, well, that was a long time ago. And you know, here's the deal: if you're in a band back in the day, and that you've got that mystique around your band, all it does is add to your cool factor. You know, for the kids back then, kind of like being a regional radio star. Oh, like. regional radio star is unbelievable, man. The local paparazzi follow you everywhere. I mean, it's crazy on the par three golf course. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> they're everywhere. The you got the you got the pole mics in your face. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay. So, uh, interesting question. I think we can get into this uh, before we get out of here. I, I don't want to do it right now, but. Uh, Steely, who are your favorites, national talking heads, and least favorites? We should get. That's a good question. Do you want to get? Okay, I can give you. Um, we can do that right now if you want for a couple minutes. For me, my least favorite. I don't know why is Max Kellerman. Okay, I I, I, I understand that. All right, there's just something about the guy. Again, I'm very. Um, I, I'm. I don't know. I, I just don't like his opinions. I just don't like his mannerisms. I just don't like him. Um, and a lot of people, you know, Skip, I have a different opinion on because I've met Skip and I kind of know Skip. I haven't talked to him in forever, but I know him through the Humphreys family. And so, and, and I've got such great respect for like Craig and Sam and that family that, uh, and I know what Skip's deal is. So I'm not going to go with Skip Bayless, uh, but Max Kellerman would be uh, the guy that I just don't like for whatever reason. Uh, in terms of a guy that I like, it would probably be Cowherd, number one, actually. And I, you know, I know a lot of his stuff is like, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. But he does such a great job presenting his arguments. No, I'm with you. And I, I don't know how controversial of a take that was going to be, but I respect Cowherd for just his brand. And the way that he goes about his... And look, as I've said before, Colin Cowherd doesn't believe half the things he says. He's trying to provoke opinions and thoughts. He's incredibly eloquent and good at communicating things in such a way as though it appears he's coming off with conviction, Mm -hmm. even though he's just manufacturing that take. How much of the Baker stuff, though, do you think is real? Oh, it's all a hustle. All of it? All All of it? it. All of it. Has been from day one. And Baker came on his show in studio once, right? So, I don't know. Um, Stephen A., I can, you know, Stephen A., he's all right, I guess. I, You know, Shannon Sharp kind of cracks me up on with Skip. I don't watch those shows hardly at all. But if you gave me the choice of the one I like the most, it would be Cowherd, and the least would be Max Kellerman. I think Cowherd is the best national talking head. Shannon Sharp is my favorite national talking head, just because he's so funny. Like, He's much like Snoop Dogg in that he's one of those people where it doesn't matter what he says, it's just funny. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't he doesn't even have to try. He just has that natural bent towards humor. Yeah. And no, just I has agree. a certain way of speaking that just compels you to laugh. All right, so who's your least favorite then? <sighs> Skip is down there. And I know he's a big OU fan, mm-hmm. so there are going to be pe- people that take issue with that. But I just, I, I've never been much of a Skip guy. Here's the deal on S- Skip. Stephen too. A rubs me the wrong way, always has. 
The, the deal on Skip is this that I don't like now, and I know what he's trying to do. He's like anybody, you know, he tweets 9 million times a day. It's always look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And look, if you're going to get a really big uh, social media presence, you know, con- it's all about content, number one, but continuing to feed that content, and Bayless does that a lot. But, you know, he's wearing the Jordans all the time and posing in those, and, and it's like old people, you can't be cool. Most old people, you know, if you try and be cool, you're even less cool. I know that. You're saying you've tried to be cool before? No, I'm just saying that uh, you, you lose your cool. If you, uh, I never had really any cool to begin with, but I'm just saying, look at Elvis. He was one of the coolest people of all time, right? Look at older Elvis, before he, even before he died. He was wearing an evil Knievel jumpsuit. He was way overweight, sweating like a pig every night. I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, there are very few cool old people. Now, you can be a nice old person, but in terms of being cool, it's very difficult. Like, maybe Miles Davis was cool when he got older. But, you know, it's the exception rather than the rule. I know these things. Trying to help you lead a better life, as Wilfred Brimley said. One listener says, "Worst Artie Spanier, Spanier." I, I, I don't Spanier. Even, I don't even know who that uh, is. Arnie's on with uh, Plank. I kind of like Arnie. I mean, but uh, yeah, uh, I can see he's uh, Arnie's one of those guys that there's not a lot of gray area with. Best says this listener is Jim Rome. I've never listened much to Jim Rome. Mm. I just know Jim Everett threw a table at him that one time. Oh, yeah, he came over the table at yeah. Jim Rome, yeah. You know, I there. look, Rome's built a huge following. I was thinking more of the TV talking heads, and I know Rome is doing that too. Every day, everybody's got either, you know, they're on, they're on camera somewhere, somehow. But I don't know. I was never much of a Rome guy. I don't know. He, he was always a little too cool for school for me. Nick Wright on Fox is awful, says one listener. I don't know that I would say he's awful. I, I'm not a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how for me, you, it's, it's I mean, Cowherd sets the tone I'm for with everybody. You. Now, how, you know, the guys at ESPN, man, I mean, it became, look, they play what, like three hours of Sports Center a day, and ESPN News is going to run you, but everything else is opinion driven. I get it. But, man, some of those guys, they must sit around there all day. And just talk about the same stuff. I don't think I, in fact, I know that I wouldn't want to work for ESPN. Would you? I mean, I mean, it would, be, it would be cool. I mean, you're to young. To say you worked for ESPN. You're young and you got your health. What do you want with a job? But no, I'm just saying because number one, you've got to be, uh, have quite an ego, uh, I think. And that's fine if you have one. But those guys, I mean, are on all the time. Like Stephen A. and Skip and guys like that, I mean, they want you looking at them all the time. To me, I would, I like to do like two or three hours, and that's about it. And then I'm done talking about this stuff. One of our listeners says Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick Dan Patrick solid. is one of my top three favorite yeah. sportscasters of all time. Dan Patrick is super solid, doesn't have a huge ego. I'm sure he's got uh, an ego, but he seems to be a really good dude, and he's just – He's a solid, solid guy and broadcaster, no doubt. He's like the Cal Ripken Jr. He's going to show up every day, give you a good performance. Nothing super flashy, but always really good. That's a good comparison. You know? Yeah, he is the Cal Ripken of sports talk. Uh, yeah, so I'm with you on Dan Patrick. 
What, was it, what is it about Max Kellerman that I don't like? I don't know. It's, it's, I, I understand. Just... He just he. <laughs> I hate to say. I hate to put it this way, but he he just has one of those faces that you want to punch. You know, punchable face <laughs> you, guy. You hear him say something incendiary. You're just like, I want to punch him right now. Yes, I I would agree with that. Not that we're advocating violence, but um, I don't know. It's uh, I just. I can't say that he's not, you know, articulate and somewhat bright and all of that stuff, but I, but I just there's just something about the guy. I don't know. And it, I've always said that about people in this business because the first time some people get some criticism in this business, they can't handle it. I'm like, man, you better get ready because not everybody's gonna like your style. I mean, it's it's like music or a movie, man. They they may like your takes, and you may think that you've got great takes, and you're a likable person, and why don't they like me? Just because they don't like your style. There are going to be people out there like that. And what and particularly in the, uh, I don't know if I would call this entertainment. I, hopefully it's entertaining, but you know what I'm saying. Just get ready. And particularly with social media, you're going to hear from those people too. So just get ready. All right. Uh, good to have you with us. <clears throat> Pardon me. Steelman and Thune. And uh, I want to hear from Tanner Groves when we get back in the matchup with Kansas last uh, coming up tonight. Remember last year in the NCAA tournament, he and his brother Jacob lit up the Jayhawks in the NCAA tournament. They had a big lead. Kansas eventually came back and won. But that was probably the moment that spurred the Groves brothers on to move on from eastern Washington and come to Oklahoma. We'll talk about that preview to KU matchup coming up next. All right, welcome back. And uh, thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley sponsoring our second hour here on Steelman and Thune on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Oil changes engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost from the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Heck of a deal. All right, so last year in the NCAA tournament, Eastern Washington, the Eagles played the Kansas Jayhawks. And... Uh, Eastern Washington led that game at halftime and uh, led, uh, you know, significant minutes in the second half as well. Kansas eventually uh, ended up winning the game 93-84, to but the Groves brothers were really the story of the game. Tanner Groves tallied 35 points in that loss to KU, had a great game, and Jacob had 23. They combined for 58 points uh, but, again, uh, Eastern Washington uh, lost to Kansas. Uh, and eventually, the Groves brothers, obviously, they enter the transfer portal. And they wind up playing now for Porter Moser at Oklahoma. Let's hear from Tanner, uh, meeting the media yesterday, talking about what that meant and what it was like having that great uh, game against Kansas in the tournament last year. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Um, it was just really fun to see, you know, been growing up playing against him, playing with him my whole life. And, um, obviously, yeah, it was pretty fun to – you know, see what see what he's capable of, and and you know, it's just kind of kind of made both of us realize, you know, um, what each of us can do, you know, against some of the best teams in the in the country. You know, we're capable of of playing against you know some of the best teams, and um, you know, why not us? So it just kind of gave us the uh, the spark, the urge to you know see what's out there, and that's kind of why we entered the portal and and how we ended up here, and it's just been a been kind of great since then. There you go. Obviously, he's talking about his uh, younger brother, uh, Jacob, who, uh, as I mentioned, had 23 in that Kansas game, too. So, 
Uh, this matchup tonight, and he was also talking with the media yesterday saying that he needs to be more of a uh, kind of the focal point of the offense, not necessarily being scoring, but the offense kind of needs to run through him. And Oklahoma's been struggling offensively. There's no doubt about it. And uh, Porter Moser talked about this being an opportunity kind of week when you got KU at home uh, tonight, number seven team in the country. And then you've got Baylor coming in on Saturday, number five team in the country. Um, like I said, this stretch, this four-game stretch coming up for Oklahoma in, uh, in the midst of their first two-game losing streak of the Porter Moser area is going to be crucial, as we talked about. It will be, and I think we're going to find out a lot about this team tonight on their home floor against Kansas because what do we know about years past, Mike? And I know I said last week, I think this is the year. I really do. I just have a gut feeling this is the year that Oklahoma breaks through and wins at the Fog. But in years past, that loss at the Fog has been a foregone conclusion every single year. So this home date with Kansas in particular is always crucial for Oklahoma because Kansas is one of those teams year in and year out in the Big 12 that if you can split with, that's a big win for your program. And likewise, it's going to be a big win if in year one at Oklahoma, Porter Moser can split with the Kansas Jayhawks. And I don't know if they split with Baylor at this point. I think that's a tall order. But hey, Baylor lost two games last week just like Oklahoma did. So the Big 12 is pretty wide open. It's just a matter of how quickly you can get this turned around if you're Porter Moser because the last thing you want to do is see a two-game losing streak tur- turn into a five- or six-game losing streak, and then all of a sudden you are talking about your tournament hopes being in serious jeopardy. No doubt. And uh, look, because the next four games, again, KU tonight, Baylor at home on Saturday. Then you go to Morgantown, hit the road to play at West Virginia, and the Sooners have won in Morgantown. You know, they've, they've won some games in Morgantown, obviously, in Big 12 play. Could they win there? Yes. But, again, that's a difficult assignment. And then you have to play in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and you have to go to Auburn, Alabama, to play the second-ranked Auburn Tigers. So, uh, if you're not careful, it could stretch to six games. We'll see what happens tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN. The bad news for Oklahoma, David McCormick, really good player inside. Kansas always has height. KU teams have always had a lot of height. Uh, and the Sooners don't have a lot of that, and they're without Ethan Shagwa tonight. And Shagwa's what, 6'8", six, 6'9"? Six, six, so uh, that's going to be a challenge for the Sooners. How about Baylor and West Virginia playing, tipping off today at 4 o'clock? Interesting to get all the games in, I guess. Uh, also in the Big 12 tonight, K-State at Texas. Iowa State goes to Lubbock. And uh, the Cowboys and TCU will play the only Wednesday night game um, in the Big 12. Uh, again, uh, coming up tomorrow night, that'll be in Stillwater. And what a, what a win for Oklahoma State. You know, what they did at Baylor, that was amazing. Really led that game from start to finish. Got challenged a little bit down the stretch. Then, uh You know, Bryce Thompson scores the last six points of the game. Pretty remarkable. Um, By the way, the uh, Thunder in action last night in Dallas. Lose to the Mavericks 104-102. The uh, Thunder, again, fourth worst record in the league. Uh, SGA had 34 points last night. Uh, Lou Dort had 18. Josh Giddey, 10.6 rebounds, 5 assists. Luka, triple-double for the Mavericks. Uh, for Oklahoma City, again, they have, they're in the midst of a, a four-game road swing. They play at San Antonio tomorrow night at Charlotte Friday. They go to Cleveland on Sunday. Their next home game will be next Monday against the Bulls at the Paycom Center. So, 
there you go. Competitive tanking continues. Fourth worst record in the league, so they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, if she need to get to third uh, would be best, but we'll see. We'll see how it's going to work out. And, um, you know, it is it is so weird. You know, the, um, you know I, I probably watched about 15, 20 minutes of a Thunder game now, if that. Unless it's a, you know, uh, a really big game. But there aren't a lot of big games. I'll just be honest with you. I follow along on Twitter, see what our insiders are saying, like uh, Brandon Rabar, Jacob Niffin. We're going to have John Hamm on with us uh, here shortly. But, and obviously you guys like Royce. But I, I just, you know, it's just, it's just not a big thing for me right now. You know? And it was huge. Maybe I'm a fair weather fan, but I just I can't watch a lot of tanking basketball. I just it's just difficult for me to do. By the way, a couple of texts via the Air Comfort Solutions text line. One listener going back to the national talking heads conversation. Mm-hmm. One listener says, My favorite national talking head, that dude at Fox, Bob Stoops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good call. Good call. We, we probably should have. I thought, thought of that, Bob did a really good job, man, and he got better, as you would expect. I mean, he was a rookie. I can remember that first game. It was the Ohio State-Minnesota game, and you could tell they were having technical issues. I could tell Bob had his IFB in, and he, like, wasn't hearing anything. And when you're first in the business and something like that happens, what do you do? You get the deer in the headlights looking kind of like, hey, this isn't working, you know. But he still, he he rescued that fine. I thought he was good opening night, and I thought he got better. And to see him uh, open up and show more of his personality I thought was really cool. Really grew into his own. He's developing. Mike, he's developing. Bob needs to do like a variety act, man, and uh, presented by Rock and Roll Tequila. Could be in All-American contention in a couple years. Bob Uh. Stoops' stature grew even more legendary this year. One listener says, Parker answered that working for ESPN question like Muleshoe answered the LSU coaching question. I resent that comparison, (laughs) but I suppose it's fair. Like I said, I, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, that's – I just don't – man, I – sometimes it's like I get on when, – when big things are happening on Twitter, I'll get on there. But just to tweet something out or something, a, a lot of times I'm like, I don't really have anything to say, so I'm just not <laughs> going to say anything. People are like, man, Steely, where you been on Twitter for like three or four days? Like, well, I just don't have anything to say. You got two hours a day to air all your opinions. Everything that I have to say, I pretty much say on the show. But, you know, this is a, this is, a, I'm going to sound like a real old here, but there are a lot of people, you know, they want you to be looking at them all the time. And um, that's fine. That's their, that's their prerogative, Bobby Brown, all right? You don't – I mean, you tweet, uh, a, I would say, a fair amount, but you don't go overboard. No, I, I, I tweet a moderate amount. Mm-hmm. I mostly tweet about recruiting. Right, and uh, like, man, when the mule shoot thing happened, I was all over Twitter again. I, You know, and uh, OU football Saturdays, I'm all over it. If the Thunder gets really good again, I'll be all over that. But other than that, I, I just – I don't know. I'll tweet out a link to my streaming show like they tell me to do, and that's about it some days. Got to pay the bills, right? That's exactly right. All right. Uh, Thank you again, Seth Wadley, Auto Group in Falls Valley. Man, it's turned into a sauna in here. Are you sweating yet? I am sweating, yes. Profusely. You remember Pete Schwetty from the old SNL skit? You're too long. Too old, I mean. Yeah, I'm not old enough. Yes, you're not old enough. That's what I was trying to say. I have no idea what I'm trying to say right now. He sold a certain product back in the day, Pete Schwetty. 
All right, we'll break right here. Come back. One more segment. Uh, Let's break down the disaster that was the Arizona Cardinals last night. We'll do that coming up next. Yes, that was Kyler Murray last night under pressure all night long. No doubt about it. it. It got ugly early. The Rams and the Cardinals, I was kicking back thinking, all right, this could be a really good way to close out the uh, super wild card weekend. And it was super dull because the Cardinals just got, they got their, you know, what's kicked is what happened. And uh, Kyler, uh, what does that rank as one of the ugliest interceptions, pick sixes, in NFL history, it might be top five. That was uh, definitely one of the bottom ten plays of the season. It reminded me, if you're really old like me, if you're really old, congratulations, you're you're really old. But the uh, what year was the Super Bowl between the uh, the old when you used to could call them Redskins back in the day, the Washington Redskins and, and the, the Miami Dolphins? Dolphins. Talking yeah. about the uh, Garrell Yeprimian, yes, yeah. Garrell Yeprimian just kind of flings it up in the air, and Mike Bass picks it up. That was like 1974. Now Mike. was that a f- was that a fumble or I think it was a fumble? It was return, ruled an was interception it? return. It was an interception return. So I mean, I understand what Kyler was trying to do, but man, that was way. Too risky. I mean, you just couldn't get away with that, and that, it was crazy. So, didn't it feel like the Rams won that game like fifty-six to six? It ended up being thirty-four to eleven. It didn't feel that close. By the way, Cliff Kingsbury down thirty-one to eight with ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. Mike yeah. decided to kick a field goal, turning a three-score lead into wait for yeah. it a three-score lead. I know. Didn't Mike McCarthy did that as well Sunday? Right. Well, Mike McCarthy was only down two scores at that point, though. True. His but team he- had plenty of time. It did the Cardinals did not. The Cardinals were just, uh, look, and uh, I, I know that you don't have DeAndre Hopkins. They got J.J. Watt back, and I thought, you know, they won there earlier in the year, but the Rams returned the favor and won at Arizona. It was just a, a very ugly night. The Cardinals, particularly in the first half, they couldn't do anything, anything offensively. So, Kyler Murray, uh, what was so tough last night for the Cardinals offensively? Here's what Kyler had to say. All right, and it's what happens to people from tech? What do they forget to do? They abandon the run, right? Mule shoe at times, you know, you'd have a great drive going. Kennedy Brooks is ripping off eight or ten yards here and there, and all of a sudden, oh, let's throw it. Last night, uh, particularly early in the game, they just James Conner wasn't a factor. They, they, they didn't try very much either. So it was just an ugly night for the Cardinals all the way around. Now the word is that Cliff Kingsbury, you know, could he be in some trouble? After three years, he's 24-24-1. and one. First year, they won five games. Last year, they won eight games. This year, they won 11. But, man, they completely crumbled down the stretch, losing five of their last six. And we're talking about a team that at one point had a two-game lead over everybody else in the NFC for home field advantage. And not good. Not good at all. I think you move on from Cliff Kingsbury if you're the Cardinals. I really think so. Because the talent is all there on that roster. You have a generational talent at the quarterback position. And right now you have a head coach that was never qualified for that job in the first place and that through three seasons has not demonstrated anything as a coach that would lead you to believe he is capable of leading this team to a Super Bowl. So who deserves to be fired more, Cliff Kingsbury or Mike McCarthy? Oh, Cliff Kingsbury. It's not close. So you'd keep I, McCarthy. I, right now, 
I am not firing Mike McCarthy. I am 100% firing Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think Mike McCarthy's the problem in Dallas. I think Dallas's problems run a lot deeper than Mike McCarthy. Maybe, yeah, I agree with that. Maybe the uh, the Cardinals, if they fire Cliff, they'd go for another tech guy and give Muleshoe a call. You know what? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is that's not, not difficult to be foresee the happening. The Cardinals. Exactly. That's that's not difficult to foresee happening, right? Because let's say the Cardinals decide to part ways with Kingsbury later this week. I can promise you Muleshoe's at least getting a call because Lord knows the Cardinals are going to loop Kyler Murray into the discussion as to who he wants to be the head coach. And I would imagine that Muleshoe's pre-existing relationship with Kyler Murray factors into that conversation in some capacity. Now, that's not to say he'll be the next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals or that he'll even get an interview. But I promise you, his name will get thrown around. If oh Cliff, yeah, if no Kingsbury doubt. Gets that. fired. Yeah, that's one hundred percent guaranteed that they would throw his name around. All right, are we hearing any more Lane Kiffin NFL buzz, or has that all died down? It's died down somewhat, and I think the fact that Lane Kiffin was hosting Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg this past weekend instead of inter- interviewing for NFL head coaching vacancies probably suggests that he's staying at Ole Miss for the time being. You know, you heard what Kirby Smart said at the top of the show, right, Mike, about coaching Mm -hmm. in the collegiate game versus the NFL game. And so for a guy like Lane Kiffin, who's coached at the NFL level before and that has a frame of reference for how that differs from the collegiate game, it's a ticking time bomb. He's going to be back in the NFL at some point. If not this year, then in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting, Kirby Smart, uh, in that clip that we played, and uh, Plank played it during his show, too, uh, talking about how some of the guys are you know, just going to go to the NFL because you get to see your family when you're an NFL head coach. When you're a college coach, not so much. And there is so much going on, uh, though. Uh, recruiting is just never stops, right, pretty much? It never stops. And that is why, and you heard Kirby Smart talk about it, that's part of why college coaches never get a break is because you were recruiting 24-7, 365. Mm-hmm. That never goes away. February, is that the month where there's nothing going on pretty much? But other than that, that's... I mean, February, once you get past National Signing Day, that is generally about as light of a month as you will come across. But, again... Once the recruiting calendar flips and you're done recruiting kids in the 2022 cycle, you're on to the 2023s. Yeah. And it's full court press on them. All right. So, uh, Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg, uh, would you think something maybe today possible? I would hope something is today. <laughs> I, a, lot, a lot of people I talked to thought it was coming last night. Yeah. And I stayed up good and late waiting to see if the announcement would drop last night. It did not. And here we are midday today, no word yet. It's it's only a matter of it's gonna have to get done soon. Yeah. Because no doubt. I mean, you're running up against enrollment deadlines. And I mean, so this has gotta be sorted what out. What if he's waiting about, on freaking Caleb Williams? There's no way. There's no way. Okay, because uh Caleb Williams is not coming back to OU. I, no, I mean, it's not it's not happened, so that shouldn't be a factor. Are we a hundred percent sure that Dart and Trigg are a package deal? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be old Miss. But you're more tuned into this stuff than me. What are you thinking? I'm leaning toward Oklahoma. 
If I had to put money down, and I said it this morning when I was on with Toby, I'm about 65% sure that it's mm, going to be OU. That's a good and number. And that's, for- that's not to say this thing couldn't swing in the other direction because it could, and there is a layer of mystery and enigma that surrounds this all. But There's something in my head, though, that says kids don't want to compete. They want to be assured they have the job, pretty much. And that's what bothers me, but well, we'll see. I also uh, hopefully- think kids would rather play for Brent Venables than Lane Kiffin. So. Uh, yeah. Well, what about Lane's better on social media? Okay. You know, right. Jeff Levy's going to be like, I am Ole Miss, too. Just come to Oklahoma. There you go. That's right. All right. We got to get out of here. Locked in. Coming up next, Tyler's back. Everybody have a great Tuesday.